Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hang on the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, joined, as always, by my co-host, Josh Dooley. But, Josh, you're actually, I'm not going to be joining you this week. You're actually going to be joined by someone who's known as the Wizard. Um, he's going to sound a lot like me, but he's definitely not just me under a pseudonym as a way to grift our readers for more money. Um, I, I think it's a very niche market we're embarking on here and definitely not something that any other Ohio State website is doing. So hopefully our subscribers enjoy the fresh new content. I see where you're going. I love it. Uh, I want to let you know that I'm looking forward to some uh, some hot news, some hot breaking uh, takes and everything coming across from the wizard, the prophet. Maybe we can recruit, um, you know, a bunch of other aliases or, or these uh, these characters with these nefarious names. I love it, Gene. I like where you're going. Yeah, for sure. You're going to see a lot of new names on the site coming up that have, you know, suspiciously similar writing styles to the people already on staff. But it's just, you know, it's it's bringing in fresh guys. You can never have enough guys, enough insiders with all this this inside knowledge. So um, if you're someone who frequents the Ohio State beat, you know exactly what we're referring to. But nonetheless, um, we do have actual podcasting news and stuff to get to you this week. Josh, how are how are you doing, uh, you know, now that you've, you've met the wizard and, and things are, are off and running? Uh, I am doing good, man. Um, you know, I feel like we're kind of getting... We're not quite to the dog days of summer, I would say, but now that a lot of sports, uh, you know, kind of NHL free agency just happened, the last major in golf happened, so I've been clinging on to any remnants of other sports. I know you're a big baseball guy. I talked about that in our Your Nuts column. My Reds aren't very good right now, so I keep getting more and more amped up for football and these Big Ten previews and things like that. So I'm in a good spot. I'm ready to hit the ground running and talk all of this Ohio State football and Big Ten preview stuff that we've got to get to. Yeah, for sure. Big week for me in sports between the you know the Mets and Yankees partaking in the Subway Series. You got the uh, MLB trade deadline coming up not too far away. So a big sports week for me. But yeah, like you said, football season is rapidly approaching us. And you know, as we've been doing throughout the summer now, throughout these these last few months of the summer, heading into fall and and college football season, we're coming at you with another Big Ten preview today. Two more teams on the docket: Maryland and Illinois today. But as we've done from all these podcasts, we're going to start off at the top with just the latest in. Ohio State recruiting news. Um, I think the last few times we've done this, it's been a little more uh, on the positive note. I think last week there was a little bit of negative with uh, Tackett Curtis committing elsewhere and, and some other things going on, but uh, pretty negative overall, I'd say, connotation this week. Just looking at, you know, like we said last week, the sky definitely isn't falling in Columbus, and they still have a, you know, a top two, top three class in 2023. Uh, no, no matter how you slice it, but you look at what's happened over the past week or really two weeks or so, and some of the other big targets on Ohio State's board, um, and just they've seen a lot of guys that they were really heavily in on committing elsewhere. Just you know, a quick list of some of those bigger names. You had offensive tackle Olasa Lennon commit to Alabama. Same with running back Justice Haynes, also committed to Alabama. Safety Joel Nelaguero committed to Georgia, and then another big pair of offensive tackles and Chase Besantis uh, and Peyton Kirkland committing to Texas schools. Besantis going to A and M, and Kirkland going to the Longhorns. Um, so kind of a, a rough stretch for Ohio State, and now on top of that. Um, just early this morning, we're recording on Monday, uh, four-star defensive lineman John Walker, who seemed to be trending towards the Buckeyes, set to announce this Wednesday. Uh, he has two crystal balls in favor of Ohio State, but the latest to come is by Steve Wiltfong on Monday, and that was in favor of UCF. So 
you know, another top 100 recruit, the number 12 defensive lineman in the 2023 class, and another guy that, you know, seemingly out of nowhere at the end of his recruitment is trending elsewhere. So kind of a, a troubling stretch for Ohio State recruiting, especially on the defensive side of the ball, but also with those offensive tackles, which we've known for a few years now, and we've talked about has been the, the bugaboo for Ohio State offensive line recruiting is those big national offensive tackles. And it looks like another year where that's going to be an issue, plus these this slew of defensive commitments going elsewhere. Yeah, Gene, I mean... Ohio State, just like every other program, is going to go through ups and downs. You know, you kind of see Alabama, they were lurking. They were outside the top 10 for a while. Now they're kind of creeping up towards the top 10, top 5. I'm sure we'll talk about Caleb Downs real quick, but it it happens. And I don't think that this recent slew of commitments is too concerning. I really like what Ohio State has already done along the offensive line. They've got three or four guys there. Um Naguero, good player, uh, but Ohio State was seemingly out of the running for him for a while, on and on and on. But none of these are really concerning to me. The John Walker crystal ball is definitely surprising, but when you read up on his commitment, uh, a lot of family ties to that central Florida area. I think that his mom would really like him to stay close to home, so you can't knock a guy for that. Again, nothing set in stone right now. He's going to commit assume, uh, presumably this week. Um, big defensive tackle in that hero canoe mold, but not a pass rusher, and that's where I want Ohio State to focus their defensive line efforts. So again, I'm not going to lose sleep over that one either. The one that I'm still kind of regretting or disappointed with or whatever is the Caleb Downs, uh, let's call it situation. Nothing final yet there either. Um, And who knows? Something surprising could develop and could happen this week. I think Ohio State is trying to stay in it until the very end. We don't know what he's going to choose, but that's the only target right now that I'm really kind of narrowed in on and dialed in on the rest of the guys, all great players. You'd love to keep adding to your collection of talent for this 2023 class. But I just chalked this up to one of those ebbs and flows. It happens in recruiting. Ohio state was hot for a number of months, added a bunch of wide receivers in like a week, added some other positions. I think they're in a good spot, obviously number one or number two overall right now. I can live with this, but I am still going to be kind of paying attention to the Caleb Downs situation, reading all the message boards, all of that good stuff. I've still got my fingers crossed for that one. Yeah, for sure. And like Josh said, you know, we're recording this early, early in the week. So uh, the John Walker commitment will happen sometime midweek. Same thing with Caleb Downs. Um, Downs' situation is a little bit interesting. We talked last week about how Will Thong put in a crystal ball in favor of Alabama, switching his original from Ohio State. But Downs still has, you know, a couple of Ohio State crystal balls in, in his favor. You saw on, on Monday afternoon some of the current Ohio State 2023 commits tweeting at Caleb Downs, you know, kind of s- trying to sway him. So I think that one's still, you know, kind of a, a maybe 50-50, if not 60-40, maybe in favor of Bama. So I wouldn't say Ohio State's fully out on that right away. And, I, you know, like we said, you'll, you'll know as you're listening to this whether he committed to Ohio State or wound up choosing the Tide. But nonetheless, it doesn't seem like Ohio State's fully out of the running there just yet. Um, and a couple of other, you know, big names still on the board. 
Um, they seem like they're pretty pretty good with uh, four-star edge rusher Desmond Umeazulo, who was committing in late August his lone crystal balls in favor of Ohio State. We've talked about linebacker Arvell Reese, whose commitment seems like it's a long ways away, but both of his crystal balls are in Ohio State's favor as well. Um, it seems unlikely they'll add another top-end offensive tackle. There aren't many options left on the board. Um, the really lone guy I would look at in, in that regard still is uh, Olu Watosin Babalade, uh, who is teammates with defensive line commit Jason Moore. Yeah, he's teammates with defensive line commit Jason Moore. Um, but he's set to commit on July 31st. He has Ohio State in his top five, but it doesn't seem uh, all that likely at this point. He doesn't have any any crystal balls in just yet, but I, I would be kind of surprised if Ohio State wound up winning that one unless they really increased their talks in this past week after, you know, Ellen and, and some other guys committed elsewhere. So they're in on some other big names. Um, it is, you know, like you said, there is a lot of ebbs and flows when it comes to recruiting. It could just be a lot of, you know, a lot of it all happening at once where, you know, we saw a couple weeks ago, it was all positive happening at once. It all kind of evens itself out. So. I'm sure Ohio State will be fine in the long run. Um, they do probably need to add like another defensive tackle. I know it's not the flashiest position in the world, but I don't think they've had a, a bunch in these last few classes. So depth could become an issue there if you lose out on a guy like John Walker. But all in all, like I said, the sky isn't falling. They're still a top three class. I'm sure they'll finish out pretty strong. And it's just, you know, it's tough sledding right now. And we know that a lot of these defensive coaching, defensive coaches, especially a guy like Jim Knowles, um, the recruiting on that side has been a little slow other than I would say like defensive backs. So they're going to need to pick up some steam here late, but I, I have confidence in them that they'll do it. And if, you know, I, like I said on last week's pod, I think a lot of it will go into seeing Ohio State's defense on the field this year. If we see market improvement, then I think that the recruiting would follow suit. So maybe it's more of, you know, they get some of those bigger names in the 2024 class after missing on them in 2023 because some of these guys are just in a bit of a, a wait and see mode with Ohio State's defense. I think you nailed that part on the head. Players. They commit to any number of things. They commit to a university, a team, a coach, uh, for the NIL, all of these different reasons that and factors that they're kind of sorting through right now. And while I think a lot of these new coaches are highly thought of, highly respected as recruiters and as coaches, players are they still have that 2021 Ohio State defense in their mind. And so I think that some of them, fairly so, would like to see proof of concept, see how it turns out this year, see what improvements are made. And there are going to be a lot of commitments that may come later or throughout the season, a ton of time between now and then. I'm with you, though. I think that guys want to see what Jim Knowles can do as the coordinator, how these DBs perform under Eliano and Tim Walton all across the board. And I think that's that's the right thing to do. That's how I would probably approach it. If I were one of these recruits, especially on the defensive side of the ball, you know what you're walking into in an offensive kind of game planning and um, scheme, all of those good things, Ryan Day, Brian Hartline, so on and so forth. You know what you're getting with that package, whereas there's a lot of newness on the defensive side of the ball. So I think it's just this wait and see approach that a lot of guys are taking and will take, and I can't knock them for it. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's very easy for Ohio State right now to recruit these wide receivers and quarterbacks when Ryan Day is running the offense and you see what they've done these past few years, but definitely a little bit harder to, you know, envision yourself on a defense that's that's struggled for a couple of years now. So, yeah, I, I think it'll be fine. I think we'll wait and see. And, you know, as we as we look into the future, we'll probably have a, a bit better uh, look at some of these recruits as we, you know, get into our next episode after some commitments this week and maybe next week. But nonetheless, I think we could continue to look forward to the, the 2022 season as we get into more of these Big Ten previews. And this 
week. Um, we're, we're coming at you with the first team so far that we've previewed this offseason that finished last year with a, a positive record. Um, and that would be the Maryland Terrapins at 7-6 and six overall. They did it. Um, but they did, however, go just 3-6 and six in Big Ten play. Uh, those three wins came against Illinois, Indiana, and Rutgers, so not exactly a murderer's row there. Um, they started off the season 4-0 last year, lost six of their next seven, and then finished 2-0, including a big bowl win over Virginia Tech, 54-10 in that game. It was their first bowl game in six years for the program, and they won it in you know impressive fashion. Uh, their offense wasn't the absolute worst in the world. It was 57th in the country, but it was only 10th in the Big Ten. However, they were third in the Big Ten in passing offense, led by Talia Tugavailoa, uh, over 3,800 yards passing with 27 touchdowns, 11 picks. One of the better quarterbacks in the Big Ten, not that that is, is saying a ton, but he was pretty good in, in a lot of games last year. He had a, a tough stretch there in the middle, which is why they lost a couple of games there, but he came on strong at the end. Um, he also wasn't helped out by his defense in really any significant way. They were 98th out of 130 teams, allowing over 30 points per game, and they were dead last in the Big Ten, allowing almost 40 points per game in Big Ten play. So it was really just a Talia talk about Loa show. For them, they have some good wide receivers. A lot of them are coming back. But, you know, I think they could build off of some of that that momentum at the end of 2021, winning that bowl game, finishing the season positive overall. I think it, it's good for them heading into this season, although they do suffer the same you know kind of problems as, as teams like Rutgers we've talked about before, where they play in the Big Ten East. Right. I, I like this Maryland team, and I, I like the Illinois team a little bit more than I did last year. So foreshadowing there. But as far as Maryland goes, noticeable improvement under Mike Loxley in 2021. You mentioned it, lots of firepower on offense, beat up on certain teams, but kind of got stomped by all the good ones. They lost by a cumulative score of 84 to 247 to five ranked opponents. So they've got to get better and and perform better against higher end competition. But I think they could improve even more in 2022. I think they could improve upon that seven win total from last year. And like you, I think it starts on the offense, you know, orchestrated by Tualia Tagovailoa, 69% completion percentage through for nearly 3,900 yards and 29 touchdowns. Needs to cut down on interceptions. You alluded to that in the middle of the season. He kind of went through a lull, a rough stretch, and the Iowa game certainly didn't help. He had a couple rough ones, but he's a talented quarterback. Surprised he doesn't run a little bit more. He's not in the same vein as his older brother, Tua, who's now with the Dolphins, went to Alabama. But for me, it all starts there. And that passing game, I think there's a lot of potential there with Raheem Jarrett, Dante Demas. They added Jacob Copeland from Florida. He had 650 yards for them last year. Jarrett is obviously the former five-star. And Demas absolutely lit the world on fire through the Terps' first four games last year. He had totals of 133, 128, 77, and 108 yards in his first four games. I think he went down in the fifth where he had another 60 yards, if I'm not mistaken, in that fifth game of the season for them. So lots of weapons in the passing game. And I think if they're able to build on the success last year, I think this could actually be a potent offense. Yeah, I definitely want to talk more about that that Maryland offense coming into this season, but I also want to talk about Mike Lockley just a little bit. Um, 
you know, he's he's had his his rough stretches. I mean, he's the previous three seasons he spent before Maryland were at New Mexico, where he went a, a combined two and twenty six. Um, but but twenty twenty one was his best year at Maryland. You know, at the seven and six record after starting one and five, three and nine, and two and three in the three years prior was definitely marked improvement. But the thing I want to talk about with Loxley is does does Ryan Day have a, a vendetta against Mike Loxley? Uh, in in the two meetings between the two head coaches, Ohio State has outscored Maryland one hundred and thirty nine to thirty one. There was a lot of speculation back when Chase Young was suspended that somebody on the Maryland staff was the one that tipped him off because the Terps were the team that Ohio State wound up playing that following week. So I wonder if you think there's any credence to the fact that there's some bad blood um, between Ryan Day and Mike Sloxley because it seems like uh, Ryan Day likes to run it up against the Terps when he, he might not always have to. I think they've scored like 70 and, and 60-something points against him the last two times. So it seems like he takes his foot off the gas a little later in games like, than he would against maybe other uh, outmatched opponents. Do you think there's anything to that? Yeah, so we don't have any proof of that, but I was going to bring up the Chase Young situation. They've got a lot of Maryland ties. Chase Young was a Maryland guy, obviously. So where there is smoke, there is typically fire. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that were true. I, I think the thing with Loxley, he spent time at Alabama, too, and he was successful there as their offensive coordinator, I believe. For me, it's is he a head coach or is he an offensive coordinator and a recruiter? Because Maryland has been able to recruit. He was able to recruit at Alabama. He clearly had success as their offensive coordinator. Hard to argue with those things. But you're right. As a head coach, the, uh, the, the overall record has not been good. Finally found some success at Maryland. So I don't really know where I stand on him. I think that he has the potential to elevate Maryland to something new or, or something that they haven't experienced in recent seasons. But... He might also just be this really good offensive mind who knows how to recruit and build a good coaching staff because uh, on on the staff, they have the running backs coach and gosh, it's going to escape me. I, I can't think of it right now, but their offense, their running back coach was a Maryland high school coach at DeMatha Catholic High School. So he was there, I think, when Chase Young was there. He's pulled some other guys out of that program. A good staff around Loxley comes down to whether or not they can put it together as a cohesive unit and get Maryland to eight or nine games. But to go back, eight or nine wins. But to go back to your original question, yeah, maybe. That's the the best way I can put it. Ohio State has really stomped Maryland, and some of that is just due to the talent difference between the two teams. But it does seem like there is something there to where Ryan Day enjoys putting up points in bunches on this Maryland team and beating them by 40, 50 points. Yeah, for sure. You know, Maryland is obviously at a talent disadvantage whenever it goes up against Ohio State. So it's not surprising to see, you know, blowouts when the two teams meet. But it does seem like Ohio, like Ryan Day throws a little bit extra on the fire when those two teams play. We saw him run that, you know, that uh, fake kickoff play, the onside to, to Chris Olave, I believe it was that one year. So a little bit of interesting stuff going on between the two teams. But nonetheless, you brought up, you know, Mike. And Elijah Brooks. Sorry, Gene. Yeah. Elijah Brooks is the running backs coach who was a high school. He was the head coach at DeMatha Catholic in high, uh, the high school. So. Good ties there, and they've really built this program up, which I know we're going to kind of start to get into. Yes, DeMatha Catholic, a, a very good prep program. We saw Chase Young. Ohio State has the Jason Moore from this class as well on the defensive line, so you definitely want to get in good ties with that school. But yeah, you talked about Mike Loxley's ability as, as kind of an offensive guy, and that's really what, what Maryland has done. They've had a good offense, or at least an above-average one, at least under Tua Tagovailoa, Talia Tagovailoa, sorry. Um, he's thrown nearly 5,000 yards his career, 34 touchdowns, 18 picks. He set basically all the program records last season. Season at quarterback. 
you know, he holds passing yards, completions, completion percentage, passing touchdowns, 300-yard games, you name it, he's got it at Maryland. Uh, he was stellar against Virginia Tech in the bowl game, was 20-24 with 265 yards and two touchdowns. Um, as we alluded to before, the 11 picks he threw were a little bit skewed. Five of them came in one game against Iowa, so just a, a really terrible day for him that night, but only three picks in the team's final seven games, so there was some improvement there. Maybe he learned from that, that uh, you know, that bad start. And I think with some, you know, with some additional offseason improvement, I think it can make him either, you know, the second or third best quarterback in the Big Ten. You know, once again, not not a, a ton of competition out there, but he's he's looked good at times. And when he's on, he's really on. So it'd be nice to see him be able to put that together for a full season. You talked about some of these receivers they have. They have, I think, one of the strongest wide receiver rooms in the country outside of Ohio State. You're looking at a former five-star in Rakeem Jarrett, who led the room last year. He's kind of their speedy long ball threat. He's got great hands. You talked about Dante Demas, who missed the last seven games with a knee injury, but he was brilliant for them beforehand. He's a big target at six foot four. They brought in Jacob Copeland, like you mentioned, who was the Gators' leading receiver a year ago. So a lot of talent out there for Tagovailoa to throw to. It's just that their running back room could really use some help. It's funny you mentioned that they have the running back coach from DeMatha Catholic because their running game has been the part of their offense that struggled. They were 10th in the big last year in, in rushing. Um, last year's leading rusher, Tayon Fleet Davis, is gone. They bring back a pair of guys who combined for a little over 120 combined carries last year, and neither of them averaged over 5.5 yards per carry. They're bringing in four-star true freshman Raymond Brown, who could factor in immediately, but that unit is definitely going to be a, a, have to be a lot better for them to really produce as, as effectively as they can as an offense. Um, and some of that starts the offensive line, where they will return four starters. Um, three of their veterans up front are, however, switching positions, but I think they're they're more comfortable with that than you know some other schools might be. And they are led by six foot six, three hundred and twenty pound offensive lineman Jalen Duncan, who is a twenty twenty one Athlon preseason All Big Ten player. So they've got guys on that offense pretty much across the board. If they could get like anything out of their running game, then I think this should be a really really solid offense this year. Yeah, it comes down to can they find balance. You mentioned the run game; it wasn't terrible, but I think Fleet Davis had something like seven hundred yards to lead the team last year. And I mentioned Tiger Vailoa. He does not run nearly as much or as, as as effectively as his older brother. Tua was not a big-time runner. He wasn't like an Adrian Martinez that we talked about last week, but he could get it done when he was at Alabama. Um, I, I think his younger brother had less than 100 yards rushing last year, at least on designed runs. He may have had some scrambles that added to that, but I was looking at those stats earlier. They do yeah, need to he, find balance. he runs shockingly little. Like you would think he run, he's like a good athlete. You'd think he'd take off. It's kind of a similar uh, situation to C.J. Stroud, where you know they're capable of doing it. It just seems like they they don't want to. Yeah, and I don't know if that's by design because you're right. He is a good athlete. I want to compare him to his brother a little bit, um, not to just kind of beat a dead horse, but they have similar body types. I think that they play the position in a similar manner. Neither has or had a rocket arm, but they're known for their accuracy. Uh, Tualia made a big jump last year in his completion percentage, which is a lot more accurate. So he knows how to place the ball, needs to work on his reads a little bit better and avoid throwing into as much coverage as he did in the middle part of the year, like we both mentioned the Iowa game. But you're right, he doesn't run very often, similar to C.J. Stroud. So you don't know if that's by design. Maybe we'll see more of that this year. But if you look at the other teams in the Big Ten and you compare the quarterback position, Maryland has... You'd put him in the top half, right? Maybe in the top four or five just on talent alone. And then you add in the wide receivers. They've got probably one of the better passing units or one of the better batteries in the conference. So if those guys can stay healthy, I think they'll really do some things this year. 
Demas was not nearly highly as recruited as uh, Jarrett was. Jarrett was the five-star that everybody was after. Loxley was able to bring him in, secure his services. Two big weapons, Copeland's the third. They've got some big tight ends. Not a whole lot of production there, but the talent, you know, they're, they're deep there. They've got a couple guys who caught some balls last year. It does come down to that running game and finding the balance. I think that Brown is a really talented back. He was the number 20th. He was the 20th ranked running back, according to the 247 composite in the 2021 or, yeah, 2022 class. Sorry. And he decommitted from Virginia Tech. He's a Virginia guy. So that was sort of a big get for Maryland if they hope to turn their running game around. And we've seen them have success in recent years. They had Anthony McFarland, who murdered Ohio State. I know you remember that game from a couple of years ago, a couple of huge runs, had something like 200 yards, had Ohio State hands, Ohio State fans pulling their hair out. So I don't know that they're going to get back to that, but they might have a couple talented guys that they can look at, maybe put together 1,500 yards or so as a team and balance that thing out. But I do think they'll be carried by the offense. They need big improvement from the defense which, again, they've got the talent, but they lost some guys on that side of the ball. So it'll be interesting to see. It's very similar to some of the other teams that we've talked about in recent podcasts where one unit is leaps and bounds ahead of the other. With Maryland, you've got the offense way ahead of the defense, but I think that they can kind of marry those two up with some more experience. They run kind of a 3-3-5 scheme, and I like a lot of their players. So I think the defense is where we'll see the most improvement. And if that happens, they're going to be a team to be reckoned with. Yes, thank you for ruining my Monday with memories of the Anthony McFarland game. But nonetheless, yeah, like you talked about, it, it's kind of a, a strength on strength here for Maryland's practice-wise because their secondary unit is the part of their team that returns a bunch of experience. Their top cover corner, Deontay Banks, is back, as well as nickel corner, Tarheeb Still. Uh, Jacorian Bennett is back as well. He had three of the team's seven picks last year. So the secondary should be pretty solid, but they are rebuilding pretty much everywhere else. Not many of their top tacklers from a season ago are back. The Top two tacklers last season in Jordan Mosley and Nick Cross are both gone, as well as three of their top prospects from the 2021 class on that side of the ball. They've since transferred, so not a ton returning, especially at linebackers. They do bring back third-leading tackler last year, Ruben Hippolyte, who will be moving from middle linebacker to outside linebacker. They really like his athleticism, and they think he'll be able to excel there. They're hoping that WVU transfer Vandorius Cohen, as well as four-star freshman Jay Sean Barham, can make an impact there. Um, defensive line should be strong up the middle. They have a pair of returning defensive tackles in Amy Finau and Mosea Nasili Kite. Uh, both of them over 300 pounds. 21 starts between the pair should be strong up the middle. Um, Greg Rose led the team in sacks last year. He'll likely feature prominently on one of the ends. Um, and so... Overall, not not a not a great defense last year, but some some good experience at some key positions is returning. They are missing a lot of a lot of you know previous tackle experience, but if a few guys take a step forward, they could put together a, a more than competent unit. I would say to you know compare with that offense, it's not going to be. I, I don't think defense is going to be the strength of this team, but they should be more than serviceable. They've got some big dogs up front though, like you mentioned, three ten, three thirty, and the smallest guy on the defensive line is Rose, who led them in sacks with five last year. So. I think they've got some stuff to work with. And Nasili Kite, he was actually, if I'm not mistaken, he was a preseason All-Big Ten guy prior to the 2021 year. Um, eight sacks in 15 games. Obviously, they had the COVID-shortened season. So a couple of good guys with experience up front. 
but you're right at linebacker. There's what that's where there's um, kind of a dearth of experience. Not so much talent though. You mentioned Cowan, the West Virginia transfer. It's going through my notes. He was the number two outside linebacker and a big time recruit back in 2017. He was originally at Alabama, won a ring. I don't think he played that year, but just wasn't able to find his footing at West Virginia. So this will be his sixth college season, if I'm not mistaken. The pedigree is there. Can he put it all together in this one season at Maryland? Could be interesting if he does, because they do have Hippolyte um, moving around, but he's got a bunch of experience. And then you mentioned the other guy, Jayshon Barham. He was the 10th ranked linebacker in the 2021 class. He could play maybe that, uh, like something comparable to Ohio State's Jack position. So he can get after the passer uh, and obviously was recruited as a linebacker. So you're right. They've got this mix of returning guys who were not part of a great defense last year. They lost Nick Cross and Mosley, their leading tacklers. Tarheeb still is a really good ball player. I think that if, Cowan can sort of put things together with his past pedigree. And if Barham comes in as a true freshman and it can contribute, even as a situational pass rusher, they did not have a great pass rush last year. There are the, the makings of a decent unit, certainly a unit that is better than the top 80 or 90, whatever they were last year. If they can become an average defense, maybe slide up around that 40, 50, 60 range, then they can probably win some games that they otherwise lost last year because I talked about their performances against their top five ranked opponents. They got blown out. The offense was able to put up points on occasion, not so much at Iowa. We've talked about that really bad game that Tiger Valoa had, but they've got the personnel to put up points. Can they stop the other team? And I, I actually do think we're going to see improvement from them. I think that as a whole, Maryland could be much improved. Their schedule is not the easiest because they play in the East, but I would not be surprised if they were a seven or eight win team with the potential to upset somebody else because we'll get to it later. But I look at Michigan State blew them out last year. I don't know if Michigan State is going to repeat their success. Michigan, we know they're projected to finish first or second in the Big Ten. Again, I don't know if they are going to rep- repeat that success. They've obviously got Ohio State. I think Penn State is beatable. So I don't think it's it would be a total shock if Maryland can put some things together, improve at certain positions, and become a 9 or 10 win team. I don't think that I'm going to go out on that limb as far as predictions go. But I think that they are – one of the five most talented teams in the conference. And that, I might come across a little bit crazy there, but I, I truly believe that. They've got a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. It's a matter of putting things together and continuing the trend of that improved offense, scoring a bunch of points, limiting some of their opponents. I, I really do like their potential, though, Gene. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, like you talked about it. looking at their schedule, they have some very interesting matchups and some interesting games. You know, you look at the non-conference against Buffalo and Charlotte; those are pretty easy wins. Um, the SMU game is pretty interesting. I don't, I haven't, you know, done my my homework on what they're bringing back, but they've been a pretty solid G five team of late. So that probably isn't the you that know, it's not, be not a shootout. Yeah, not a gimme game by any means. There, they do have to travel to Michigan and Wisconsin, so those are almost certainly losses. Um, tra- they do travel to Penn State. That could be an interesting game, depending on if Penn State is down this year. We'll talk about them you know, in a future episode, but they host Purdue, they host Michigan State, two teams that, you know, on a, on a bad day could definitely be beatable. Like you said, we don't know what Michigan State's going to look like this year without Kenneth Walker. Purdue's been up and down. They just lost David Bell. They, they host Ohio State. That's, you know, I would imagine that's not going to be a, a win for them, but who knows with Ohio State's defense. But nonetheless, um, they, have, they have seemingly obvious Big Ten wins against Indiana, Northwestern, and Rutgers at minimum. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely could see them eclipsing their win total last year of seven and winning upwards of eight or nine. I like like you, I'm not going to go out on on ten win Maryland, but this is a team on paper that's pretty good. I am a little bit worried that you know, much like I feel about Rutgers, they could be a better team than their final record indicates, just because that they play in the Big Ten East and it's so tough at the top. But I think this will definitely be an improved team from last year's Maryland. I'm pretty high on Tugabailoa. He does need to kind of he, he had his struggles in the bigger games his team played, and that's why his team as a whole struggled so much. So if he's able to get it going, he has great help around him. If they could get that running game going up just a little bit, put the defense together, I, I think Maryland should be solid. They're not going to be you know a, a pushover team like they have been. I'll be interested to see how Ryan Day attacks another Mike Loxley team, but I think Maryland's going to be an interesting team to watch, and especially if they win some of those early games, if they win you know, a potential big road game against Penn State or they beat Purdue or Michigan State at home, then you're looking at a very interesting Maryland team. I want to put you on the spot a little bit then. Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Ohio State. I think that Maryland wins one or two of those games. I really do. Give me one quote-unquote upset, though. Of those five teams that I gave you and of those game, those matchups, give me one that you think that you are most confident in Maryland being able to pull off. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Obviously, we haven't previewed any of these teams yet, so I'll have to look at what a lot of them are returning. I think the two most obvious there, if we're going to you know, just predict based on not having much prior knowledge, but knowing what's leaving some of those teams, Michigan State and Penn State seem the most upsettable, especially since they host Michigan State. I know they that you know uh, Mel Tucker was able to put together a phenomenal season with them last year. They were a really good team. They bring back their quarterback, um, but they're losing a lot of other guys. They obviously lose their biggest name in Kenneth Walker. I'm not sure how often you could build a team almost solely on the transfer portal. So that does concern me heading into a second year there. Um, I do not like Sean Clifford at all. So that's the only real thing that gives me pause with Penn State. But I do think they have some other guys around there. And if they do wind up replacing Sean Clifford with their uh, their quarterback prospect, whose name escapes me right now, um, I think they'll be a better Drew team. Aller. Yep, Drew Aller. They'll, they'll be a better team than they have been. So I, I think of those teams, probably Michigan State's the most likely. I think they could beat a team like Purdue because Purdue just seems to kind of lose those games on occasion. So... I think it'll be interesting. But yeah, if, if I'm picking one of the big, I'd say the big five in the Big Ten, Michigan, Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan State, and Ohio State, I think I'm going to have to go with the Spartans. I think I would go with Michigan State too, especially because they get to play that game at home. But I won't sleep on them in the Michigan game either, just because it's early in the year. Obviously, they have to go to the big house, which is a, a challenge for anybody, including Ohio State. Obviously, we saw that. But as they get them week four, yeah, it looks like week four. They get the Michigan schools back-to-back. I'll go ahead and put it on the record right now as one of my bold predictions. This is the week. 
I think Maryland beats one of the Michigan schools in late September, early October. So I'll go there. See, Josh is just a, just a great company guy following the, the theme of the week in the podcast. You'll love to see it. I love the the, the hot takes and the, the bold predictions. So I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I could definitely see it. You know, we will talk about it when we get to them. But Michigan has a, a very favorable schedule. So I wouldn't, you know, if they come into a game kind of sleepwalking through thinking they're getting an easy Maryland game, it probably won't be as easy as they thought. You know, we saw how Michigan played against Rutgers not too long ago in a game that they probably thought would be a cakewalk. So it could definitely happen if you catch any of these Big Ten teams on the wrong day. I think pretty much everyone is beatable. You, you know, you have a, a severe talent disadvantage going up against an Ohio State and a Michigan, but pretty much all the other teams in the conference are, you know, you're not too far behind. I mean, Penn State and Wisconsin are definitely ahead of them, but not by, you know, that as wide a margin as the Ohio States and Michigans of the world. So could be some interesting games there. I'm excited for, you know, what they, they could potentially do. I think we're probably, of the teams we've previewed so far, which there, there aren't a, lot, a ton of good ones, I think we're probably the highest on Maryland thus far. Yeah, I think I have to agree with that. I, of the teams that we've previewed, I'm higher on Nebraska than last year, but I think that's sort of a foregone conclusion, stating the obvious with Casey Thompson at quarterback now. But Maryland is a team that I think we're going to go through six teams by the time we finish with Illinois. I would say they're the top team of those six as far as projected finish, predicted finish. I think they will be a team that is going to give some of the upper echelon Big Ten teams a greater challenge than they did last year. I've talked a a number of times now about how they were blown out last year. I I see noticeable improvement from year two to three under Loxley. I think we could see more from uh, year three to four. So we've talked about the upset potential. I think they're an eight or nine win team. Is there probably their ceiling including an upset or two, but definitely the highest ceiling of the six or the six teams that we will have finished by the end of this podcast. Yeah, and let's get to that six team. I know you're a big fan of their head coach. Unlike Maryland, uh, Illinois did finish with an under 500 la- record last year of five and seven, but they did have a better mark than Maryland in Big Ten play at four and five. They had the biggest win of any team we've previewed thus far with a 20 to 18 overtime thriller at Penn State, a huge win for them. They also defeated Nebraska, Minnesota, and Northwestern in conference. Um, they defeated Charlotte in non-conference with losses to UTSA and Virginia. Um, and really the story for Illinois last season is, is sort of the opposite of Maryland, where they had one of the worst offenses in the country. 116th out of 130 teams, 20.2 points per game, simply not going to get it done. Second to last in the Big Ten, ahead of only Northwestern. Dead last in the conference in passing offense. And they failed to score more than 20 points in seven of their last 10 games. However, on the flip side, they had a top 30 defense in the country, allowing just 21.9 points per game, which is good for number six in the Big Ten. So... Kind of the flip side of of Maryland. Maryland had a good offense and a pretty, you know, otherwise not very good defense. Illinois, the flip side, had a, had a really good defense and not a very good offense. Spoiler alert. I am not high on Illinois, and it's because of the coach. I know they experienced a little bit of success last year. They had the upset over Penn State, but that was not a good football game with the 100 overtimes or whatever it was. I want to get into the Brett Bielema conversation because – Illinois has not had a winning record since 2011 under Ron Zook. And I just don't think that Bielema is the coach to get them over the hump. Maybe he can keep them relevant. But if you go back and you look at his time, go back to Wisconsin, look forward a little bit, including his last season at Wisconsin, he is 42 and 46 
in his last seven seasons. And even his best seasons at Wisconsin typically ended in disappointment, right? They won the Capital One Bowl all the way back in 2006. And I think they finished number five in the AP poll. No, it was the coaches poll. Sorry. After that, he went one in four in other bowl games at Wisconsin. Lost a couple of Rose Bowls to good teams, but still lost a couple of Rose Bowls. Went to Arkansas. His tenure there was meh, and he was 11-29 and 29 in SEC play. So, Brett Bielema, Burt Bielema's last great season was 16 years ago. Since then, he added a couple okay seasons at Wisconsin, but he couldn't win the biggest games, couldn't win the bowl games at least. Forgettable experience at Arkansas. Went to the NFL, had a cup of coffee there as a position coach. But I feel like he's got this perception or this reputation as a much better coach than he really is because it has been that long since he was truly, truly successful. We saw what he did last year, 5-7 and seven record. He's not uh, you know, an offensive guy per se, but just a dreadful offense with a, an above-average defense. Do you think that he is a guy that is worthy of the reputation that I think that he has? Or do you think that he kind of coasted off of Barry Alvarez, had a couple of good years, and is otherwise a mediocre coach? What is your opinion of Brett Bielema? Yeah, I don't think I'm as negative on Brett Bielema as you are. I think I'm probably like net neutral on Brett Bielema as a whole. Um, I, I think he's a bit interesting because, like you said, you know, he spent those seven years at Wisconsin – before spending five at Arkansas, a little bit in the NFL as a as an assistant, but I, I think he br- like he brings Big Ten experience with him. But I think it's a lot of like old school Big Ten style of play, and it's a lot of what we saw kind of in their offense last year, where they're very yeah, you know, that's they're very, really good point. Very run heavy, you know, the kind of the old school style of college football, and you know that didn't that didn't play in the SEC. He wasn't you know the best at Arkansas, and it, it certainly doesn't play in today's um, Big Ten. But they do, however, they're bringing UTSA offense coordinator Barry Looney Jr who I think could kind of change things them, or at least help them get better on that side of the ball. He plans to help uh, the Illini run their offense with a bit more tempo. He's a guy who's worked with Bielma before as a tight ends coach at Arkansas. So he's a guy who kind of, you know, knows what the coach wants and also is, is familiar with today's style of play. We saw what, you know, UTSA was able to do in previous years. They've been pretty solid on that side of the ball. So an interesting guy to bring in and kind of mix with a, a guy like Brett Bielma, who has a bit of an older style. Um, the rest of their offensive staff stayed the same. So I don't know how much of a, of a handle they're going to let Looney have on the offense offense but I do think you know you have to give credit where credit is due I mean he did you know the five and seven season is nothing to jump off the page but it is the first time that Illinois has reached five wins since 2016 but but like you said before true like the it was still the school's 10th consecutive losing season it's not it's not an easy place to play it's not an easy place to coach so it is you know it's not like Brett Bielma is going to bring Illinois to the top of the Big Ten but nonetheless unlike you know the Rutgers and Maryland's that we've talked about they do get the benefit of playing in the Big Ten West which is you know as we know much more wide open other than you know seemingly Wisconsin that the top end of the conference is, is pretty hit or miss on year in and year out basis. So I don't think that it's it's out of the question that Brett Bielma could bring Illinois to maybe the middle of the pack in the Big Ten West, if not higher, just because I don't think the ceiling in that division is as high as it is in the Big Ten East. I just see it as a bridge position, a bridge opportunity for Bielema. I think he wants to get back to big time, big boy college football, something like he had at Wisconsin. And I just don't know if it's in the cards for him. Uh, You know, his last four seasons were three losses, two losses, three losses, and five seasons 
at Wisconsin. So, you know, I, I don't have an ax to grind with him personally. He just, he doesn't seem like the most likable guy in the world. I don't know why that is. Don't, please don't aggregate me, but he really fell off. And the Arkansas experience, I think, his tenure there kind of opened my eyes because I did actually have higher expectations. I thought that he sort of limped to the finish with Wisconsin, but I thought entering SEC play, maybe having um, a, a wider recruiting base to get some guys into that conference, I thought he would have more success basically a 500 record there. And like I said, just abysmal in conference play. He had a one and seven season an zero and eight season and a two and six season, just not great all across the board. So I don't know. I'm off my Bielema kind of uh, soapbox there. Let's get into the offense. You mentioned it. One of the worst offenses in the country last year. I do think they had an old school mentality. Maybe they can turn that around. Not great quarterback play. It was very rough. You know, 13 passing touchdowns all year. Barely completed 50% of their passes. Brandon Peters is finally moving on. Uh, Michigan quarterback. Then he went to Illinois. Banged up, you know, a number of times. But it's kind of funny. He received playing time in five straight seasons despite a 53% career completion percentage. So, Almost by default, you would think that their quarterback play is going to be better. But I I truly think that it will be because they brought in Syracuse transfer Tommy DeVito. He announced his transfer in October of 2021, committed to Illinois in December. So I assume that he has been around the program and around the players since then. He was decent at Syracuse, especially in 2019. But he was banged up in 2020 and then benched in 2021. They just kind of wanted to go towards a, a different scheme or in a different direction there. But he, he did some things in that 2019 season. They also have Arthur Siskowski there. He was the backup, has been for a couple of years. He had the, uh, the infamous Rutgers year, four touchdowns, eight interceptions. So he's just a depth piece. I do think that they'll get an upgrade with DeVito as long as he can stay healthy. He looked healthy in 2021. Looked like he was past his injury from the previous year. So I think there's going to be an upgrade there. I'm intrigued by their running game. You know, Chase Brown had over 1,000 yards last year, right around 1,000, 1,005. He did average 5.5 yards per carry. And they also have Josh McCray coming back. He was their second leading rusher. Um, And he's a Mack truck, 6'1", 240, big guy. So maybe a thunder and lightning thing in the backfield. I think they'll be able to run the ball a little bit. Wide receiver core, not great, but Isaiah Williams is another guy who intrigues me. He went to Illinois, committed to Illinois as a quarterback. He was one of the better recruits in the state of Missouri. He was a high school All-American in 2018 as a wide receiver, went back and forth for a little bit, did not become a full-time wide receiver until 2021, and then he led the team last year. So I think they've got some pieces if they can kind of move their offense into this century, right? I think they need to be able to throw the ball a little bit more, certainly pass the ball better, complement it with that solid, albeit unspectacular running game. You know, they almost have to improve over last year with that 20.2 points per game. And I think they will because DeVito's the big driver. I think he's a decent quarterback and a much better one than they've had in recent years. 
Yeah, it's kind of funny to look at what this Illinois offense was comprised of last year and like look at it objectively and as as a coach be like, oh yeah, this is totally going to work. Like the the Michigan legend Brandon Peters, Rutgers legend Archer Sitkowski uh, quarterback room wasn't very good, as you said. Um, both completed less than fifty four percent of their passes, as you said. Peters is gone. Sikowski is still kind of there as a as a fallback. But yeah, I also think that they should see improvement under Tommy DeVito, who I will almost certainly call Danny DeVito at some point, either on this podcast or a future one. Um, like you said, he, they're kind of hoping he could recapture some of that magic he had with Syracuse in twenty nineteen. He threw for almost twenty four hundred yards that year with nineteen touchdowns and only five picks. Um, like you said, he battled through some injuries and an and inconsistent surrounding cast during that time, which is kind of why he fell out of favor there. He had a, a dismal offensive line at Syracuse that didn't help him in any regard either, and that's you know that helped lead to his some of his injury troubles and his falling out of favor there. But in a you know and hopefully in a new look with a new offense, he could get back on track and, and recapture what he was in twenty nineteen. I think even you know marginally close to that will be better than what Peters and, and Sikowski gave them last year. Um, like you said, bringing back Chase Brown is big. He was by far their best offensive player in twenty twenty one, rushing for over a thousand yards. Yards. They like McCray. Should be a strong tandem for Illinois back there to help out their new quarterback. Uh, wide receiver room, like you said, is a bit iffy. They're, you know, their top pass catcher, Isaiah Williams, is a former converted quarterback, um, but he did have over 500 yards receiving last year, and he also had two rushing touchdowns. So he's a guy that... Um, He's very versatile. He's a guy that they could put in the slot. They could put, some, you know, do some trick plays in the backfield as a former quarterback. Do some interesting stuff with him. They also bring back Casey Washington, who was, you know, second on the team in, in receptions, but he had, you know, less than half of the catches that Williams had. So not a, a ton of, you know, t- not a ton of balls going his way last year, but should bring a little bit of experience his way. They're also expecting a jump from former Georgia tight end Luke Ford. He had 15 catches for 115 yards and two scores last season. So they've got guys on the roster, but nobody really stands out outside of Brown. And like you said, he put up the thousand yards, but it wasn't anything spectacular by any means. You know, five and a half yards per carry is is good. But uh, it, when you're the guy who's looked at to sort of lead this offense, it's going to be it can be hard to put up points when that's kind of your strength is running the football. And it's not, you know, you're not averaging like six or higher or even really, you know, if you're if your whole team's based on running the football and you're only around a thousand yards, that's not exactly what you're looking for. So you'd think on, you know, a Brett Bielma coach team that the the offensive line here would be almost a guarantee, but it's it's looking like it's a little bit up in the air this year. Um, right tackle Alex Polcheski returns as the leader of that group. He's in his sixth season. They also return Julian Pearl at guard, and they'll get back Jordan Slaughter, who was going to start last year before hurting his ankle. So they, they lost a couple guys along the offensive line. They'll need the new guys to develop quickly, but they do have some solid anchors there to help out that group. So, you know, when, with a team that's going to want to run the football, you look to those guys to help pave the way. So, you know, once again, I think the running game should be solid. If they get better quarterback play from DeVito, um, then they should be able to at least eclipse their 20.2 points per game last season because it was just, you know, it was a dreadful offense. And looking at it on paper, you could kind of see exactly why. Have we confirmed that Tommy DeVito is not related to Danny DeVito? I haven't confirmed that Tommy DeVito isn't actually just Danny DeVito. (laughs) Fair point. Okay, we'll have to get our research department on that. But yeah, I think he's going to bring a new element to this offense I really do because we talked about Peters and Sikowski arguably two of the worst quarterbacks in the Big Ten last year the year before um it's really been tough sledding since gosh I don't know why Juice Williams keeps coming to mind I'm sure they've had a better quarterback since then I think they have but they've been struggling for a number of years and I think DeVito was really a solid get because you mentioned his 2019 stats and if I'm not mistaken, that same year they gave Clemson a little bit of a scare with DeVito at quarterback. So um, I really don't know why he was benched 
last year in October after just a couple of games. I wasn't up on my Orangeman football, but clearly there was a reason, and he announced his transfer midseason. I do think that him being with Illinois and in the program since last December, I think that that will be of big benefit to him and to the team. He has had an opportunity to develop chemistry with his wide receivers. We've talked about Isaiah Williams, another year of experience under his belt as a wide receiver. He is a good athlete. So a guy here, a guy there, the running game. It's it's funny you should mention 5.5 yards per carry. You're right. Like in today's college football, that's maybe above average. We've seen what Travion Henderson and J.K. Dobbins and guys like that have been able to do at Ohio State even with an offensive line that we've kind of had our, our gripes with. So yeah, you're right. Not the, the biggest, best number in the world, but they fed him volume. He was able to do some things. And I, I like McCray as sort of the one, two punch comes down to whether or not they can pass the ball and complete a higher percentage of their passes and improve over the 13 touchdowns, you know, to get that from an entire unit, whether it's one quarterback, two or three, it doesn't matter. You're talking one passing touchdown per game. That's just not going to get it done, especially against some of the defenses in this Big Ten, whether that be Iowa, Michigan. Maybe you see an improvement from uh, Ohio State. Not to say they're on the schedule, but there are some good defenses in the Big Ten, and you've got to be able to both throw the ball and pass the ball. You have to be balanced. We saw what happened with uh, Iowa is a perfect example, too, in Wisconsin. They fell off because they were able to do one thing and not the other. So Illinois can Illinois figure that out? Who knows? But you mentioned the new offensive coordinator. I, I don't get a warm and fuzzy when you tell me that he was, by trade, a tight ends coach. Uh, I don't know how innovative those guys are as offensive masterminds, but he did have some success at UTSA. So could see some improvements there. And if they can put up some points, maybe they become that 500 team that we've talked about, but flipping over to the other side of the ball, I'll steal your thunder a little bit. Solid defense. You're right. But they lost two key components of that defense. They lost Owen Carney Jr. Who was a solid pass rusher for them for a few seasons. They lost their best defensive back Kirby Joseph. He was a first team, all big 10 guy. And I know he didn't play much last year, but Jake Hansen is finally gone from the program. He was a heck of a linebacker um, for Illinois for, gosh, nearly a half, it seems like half a decade. So they've got some guys coming back, big losses. I think the pass rush is minimal. They bring back Jerzon Newton. I hope I'm saying that right. And Keith Randolph Jr. They were second and third on the team in sacks. They're both back. Tariq Barnes at linebacker, 80 tackles and two sacks last year. So some guys with experience up front. They also get Calvin Hart Jr. back from injury. He's a linebacker, an experienced guy who was supposed to be one of the better players in that unit, but he was injured in the 2021 season opener. So we'll save the secondary a little bit. That front six, that front seven, I think they're going to – they're going to go through some growing pains because they lost Carney, because they lost Hanson. Those were guys who were around the program for a number of years. So, yes, they only gave up 21.9 points per game last year. And, yes, they're bringing some guys back, but some big losses up front. 
Yeah, for sure. And obviously, you know, Carney was a guy that led the team in sacks last year. And, and Hanson was a guy that was really just Mr. Illinois. He was a, a three-time team captain, 276 career tackles over his six-year stint in Champaign. He was really just the, the mainstay of that Illinois defense for so long. Like you mentioned, though, he did he did not he didn't play a bunch last year because of injuries. So it's not like they're, you know, they didn't have him for a lot of last year and they did okay without him. So not that he's, he's a huge loss in terms of just what he meant to the program, but it's not like they had him, you know, playing significant snaps last year. Like you said, they do return both of their starting defensive ends in Randolph and Newton. They combined for seven and a half sacks, both of them as, as redshirt freshmen. Um, they're hoping to see a guy like Calvin Avery step up at defensive tackle. He's a 335-pound mountain in the middle going into his fifth season. Uh, you mentioned Barnes and Hart at linebacker. Barnes was second on the team last year with 80 tackles to go along with six tackles for loss and a pair of sacks. And Hart is a very interesting guy. Like you said, injured in the season opener, but in that season opener, he was named National Player of the Week with six tackles, a sack, and a fumble recovery touchdown before sustaining that injury. So a guy who could really be a really significant player for them in 2022. They also add Virginia Tech transfer, another redshirt freshman, and Alec Bryant, who's a former four-star prospect. So they have a, a lot of experienced redshirt sophomores, juniors, and a couple of freshmen with a, a couple of, with a lot of ups side on on that on the front seven so it's going to be an interesting unit and if a couple of guys pop it could be similar to what they were able to do last year even with some of the bigger names they lost but you mentioned Kirby Joseph and as good as Carney and Hanson were for this team I think Joseph is really going to be one of their biggest losses um, between Kirby Joseph and Tony Adams both of their safeties who are now gone they, they lose six of the team's nine interceptions from a year ago uh, they were third and fourth on the team in tackles respectively but Joseph specifically was PFF's highest rated safety in the country last year and one of the big reasons why the back under their defense was so good um, they do bring back defensive backs Sidney Brown and Devin Witherspoon who both started last year um, Brown was actually the team leader in tackles with 81, and Witherspoon led the team with nine pass breakups. They also returned Jartavius Martin, who finished second in pass breakups with six, but it's going to be tough to replace that safety tandem, especially Joseph. Even with good corners, uh, the pass defense could struggle a bit on the back end without some of those guys. I think, you know, Joseph, as well as Carney and Hanson played, I think they're really going to have a tough time replacing him specifically. They need guys to step up, right? Similar to Maryland, they've got some some talent and experience but they lost their their big guys. You're right. So Joseph's loss will be felt, I'm sure. But I do like that safety duo that they have. Sidney Brown is sort of a was sort of an all over the field sort of guy, and I like Martin too. Or I'm sorry, um, no, it, it was Martin fifth on the team in tackles. He plays that star nickel position, so sort of your your fifth DB, but can play in the box as well. I think they've got some pieces back there and. It's not that they did anything spectacular last year. It's just that with Carney, with Joseph and the experience, they just they were well-rounded. So I think that they can continue to be well-rounded as long as they can make up for the losses of Carney and Joseph. But I see an improvement from the offense and some regression from the defense because of those losses. You know, it's addition by subtraction on one side of the ball and true, you know, loss and subtraction on the other side of the ball. Even a guy like Carney, he was kind of their standout guy for two or three years and he never put up huge stats, but he, he certainly had like an NFL draft profile. I remember um, reading about this guy two, three years ago, didn't put it all together, but led the team the last two seasons, I think in sacks even if you had to account for his presence on the field, I, I think he played bigger than the stats, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
and Joseph was really the captain, the director, the controller in the back. So I could see regression from that side of the ball because of those losses, but enough guys coming back that I think they can at least keep their heads above water. And if they're able to marry up the offense and the defense, maybe they maybe they reach 500. Maybe they find more success. I, I'm, right now I'm looking at their schedule, which I know we'll get to. They don't have the most difficult schedule in the world. So I wasn't high on this team going into the pod. I'm, not, I'm certainly not saying that I'm high on them now. But now that we've sort of talked it through a little bit, while I look at their schedule, I do see some room for improvement. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I like what you said about kind of their defense, how it, it wasn't like, you know, an Iowa team that we saw recently where they were living on turnovers. They didn't do anything fancy. You're right. They kind of just they played well. They played well as a unit. They were well coached. Defensive coordinator Ryan Walters did an excellent job for them last season. The team went from 97th in points per game allowed in 2020 to 29th in 2021. So significant improvement there from a unit that really just played solid across the board. And I, I have actually almost an identical thing written down to what you said, where we expect kind of the offense to make, you know, at minimum kind of a, a slight improvement pretty much on that side of the ball. And then we're kind of expecting a similarly, similarly like sized deep uh, deficit, I would say, I guess, on defense where it could just wind up being regression a net neutral. The, yeah. Yeah. Gene, we, regression I guess regression to the is mean good, I, is what we're both going for. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that, you know, the the offense's improvement and the defense's regression, it might cancel each other out to kind of put together a, a similar season for Illinois. Um, you look at their schedule here, they do wind up missing both Ohio State and Penn State as their East Division crossovers, but they still have to travel to Michigan. Um, their non-con features Wyoming, Virginia, and Chattanooga, so you'd probably figure 2-1 and one there with the loss likely coming to Virginia, I'd imagine. Um, they have Indiana Northwestern on the schedule, which are you know could be gimme games for them. Uh, the Hoosiers are the second game of the season on a Friday night on the road. I'm not sure how much that plays into it because I'm not expecting very good things of Indiana. Um, they could certainly beat a team like Nebraska or maybe a Minnesota on a bad day, but I, I don't know. I think it's it could be potentially tough for them to pick up more than five or six wins. They'd have to pull up, you know, just to get over five wins, they'd have to pull at least one upset over, I would say, Iowa or Purdue, um, who we've both yet to preview, but... I'd say we're probably both going to wind up being, I don't know, I haven't looked at what Iowa's returning, but I'd imagine both of those teams are in at least a somewhat better spot. But kind of like we said going into the Illinois preview, um, playing in the West is a bit of a crapshoot. You don't know what these teams are going to bring in year in and year out. Even on a week-in and week-out basis, some of these teams look fantastic one week and then put up like 12 points the next week. So it's hard to gauge in the Big Ten West. I wouldn't say it's out of the realm of possibilities that Illinois picks up, you know, six, seven, eight wins this year. But I don't think by any stretch of the imagination it's going to be, you know, a gimme that this team is going to improve based on what we've seen on on either side of the ball. Yeah, the West is funky, and that's why I give them a fighting chance, no pun intended on the school's nickname. But I, I talked about a, in a previous podcast how the, the Big Ten is, is sort of loaded in the middle. And I don't want to say that Illinois is approaching that middle yet, but they play a lot of teams that I think that you and I would consider mid-tier or sort of above average. And that's why I think that they have a chance to sneak up on somebody, maybe pull one or two out, one or two wins out that we are not projecting by look at, looking at their schedule because yeah, I, I, I look at it in totality and I would say that Michigan on the road is the only game that I would guarantee <clears throat> Illinois loses do I think that they win six or seven or do I think that they lose five or six or seven other games? Yeah, it is entirely possible. But Iowa, I think they had an outlier year last year. I think that 
like you've talked about, any given week, any given season, they can be beatable. Wisconsin, who knows what they're getting at quarterback play. Minnesota, we don't know. Nebraska, we're uncertain about. So that's why I say I'm a little higher on them than I was before the podcast, because now that I look at the entire schedule, they play a lot of middle tier teams, in my humble opinion, outside of Michigan, because I'm even putting Michigan State in that category and in that group. I know they had a great year last year, but they were built on transfers. They lost Kenneth Walker III, who was, it's not even arguable, the, the best player on their team and a Heisman candidate. So I, I could see teams sort of fall back to the pack, whereas Illinois maybe rises up a little bit. And that's why I think that they they could be interesting, but I'm not going to predict that they are going to have a winning record. I, I would I would probably peg them at like a six and six, five hundred team if I had to put money on it right now. Yeah, I'm just like looking at the entire western half of the Big Ten in, in like disgust right now. Anybody could win almost, could, right? Would, that's the would West. Maryland win the West if they played in the West? I think they could certainly compete for it. I think that they would give Iowa a run for their money excluding what we saw last year, but with the amount of talent and the guys they have coming back, I, I absolutely think that they could compete in the Big Ten West. Isn't that great? Like, we're on, what, like the third or fourth worst team in the Big Ten East at this point in our, our previews, and we're saying that they, you know, although we expect them to be better, I mean, we're saying a team that finished there last year could potentially win the West. So that's where the Big Ten is at. I think that, you know, potentially eliminating divisions in the Big Ten is probably a good idea based on the the balance of power on the two sides, especially once they... You know, once they looked at USC and UCLA, um, you know, if you added you even if you if you added USC to the West, they'd win it every year. And if you added USC to the East, then it would just be you know Ohio State, Michigan, and USC fighting for whoever you know to to win the Big Ten over whatever team survives the West. So I think that you know the eliminating division of the Big Ten should be coming based on how slanted the the powers are at both top halves, especially. It's it's not a real pretty balanced conference right now. Yeah, Gene, and I don't think that we're breaking any news. But I'm with you. I would like to see Ohio State play Iowa on a more consistent basis. I would. I have no rooting interest for a Michigan or a Michigan State, but I don't know. I'm somewhat interested in what they could do if they weren't always going up against the loaded East. You know, you don't ever want to lose that Michigan-Ohio State game, but I'm not going to be heartbroken if Ohio State doesn't play Michigan State for one year. I would like to see some more variety and some different matchups. And that's where I think a team like Maryland, you brought them up, like they could benefit greatly from a, a mixed schedule. So yeah, we're, we're not breaking any news here, but I think that's an interesting component. I think it's what we're moving towards in the future and getting back to Illinois. That's why I think that they can make some noise in the West potentially. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not predicting that. I, I, I do not want to give Brett Bielema that much credit, but I just I look at the West and I'm like, there's not a team in the West that is unbeatable. And when we see upsets year in and year out in this conference, like a Purdue with Ohio uh, with Ohio State a number of times, um, Illinois beating Penn State last year, like I think a lot of stuff is on the table for Illinois. They could also end up three and nine. You know, it's just they're a, sort of an odd team playing in an odd half of a conference, I think is the best way I can put it. Yeah, the Big Ten, the Big Ten in the middle, as you said, it's 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 funky. It's there's a lot of teams there that could 
both win nine games and also lose nine games. And it's 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 hard to predict. We're just kind of going on what they have coming back, you know, the projections of some of these guys. So probably none of it will wind up being accurate. But, you know, on paper, you know, Maryland looks like they'll be, they'll be pretty significantly improved, but it could be, you know, maybe not as so on their record because of the Big Ten East, whereas maybe Illinois isn't as good as Maryland but plays a potentially better to a better record because of the division they play in. So two interesting teams in very different ways. Um, but I, I think we're, you know, we're pretty good on either of these teams. We, we've touched on all the major talking points here. Um, did you have anything else to, to add, Josh, before we wrap up for this week? I just want to say that it's really tough to do these predictions, especially this far in advance, because, you know, that middle is so crowded, so convoluted that I, I, find I have a hard time, like you said, like, would I be shocked at this team going nine and three or three and nine? And the answer is no. And I just, I keep beating that drum that this is the middle of the big 10, which also makes it interesting at the same time. You know, it doesn't always lead to the best results. We don't always get a year in which Ohio state, Michigan, Michigan state and Iowa are competitive on a national level, but sometimes we do. On the other side of the coin, we'll get those years where it's Ohio State and everyone else, even when Michigan was down. So that's what sort of makes this difficult and why I enjoy the game preview so much more because we get to see something on film, right? But it's still fun. I still enjoy doing these. I enjoy, you know, banging on Brett Bielema and talking about Maryland as potentially being a nine-win team. Give us a little bit of credit in the long run that we're in July right now. So, you know, bear with us a little bit. It just speaks to, I'll say odd again, the odd depth of the Big Ten. And that's kind of the the main talking point, I think, as we go through these, but eventually get to what we would consider the upper echelon teams. Yeah, for sure. You know, we're really just trying to give everybody the main, you know, the main storylines going into each into the season for each of these teams. You know, some of the bigger names that you'll be looking for. You know, whether or not the the general consensus is that they'll, you know, they'll be improved or they'll be more of the same. So, probably nothing we will say will be spot on accurate. But at least you'll have at least somewhat of an idea of what these teams will look like heading into the 2022 season. Um, as I've done for the last couple of episodes when we've done the previews, I will direct your attention if you want more info to, on these teams to our SB Nation sister sites. Uh, Maryland's is Testudo Times, and Illinois is the Champagne Room, which I think is one of the the better Big Ten names among the SB Nation oh, sites. That's a good one. Oh, we like that. I like yeah, that one. That is a good one. Give Illinois an extra win just because of that. Exactly. That, that earned them at least one win on the trail, but nonetheless, um, that'll pretty much do it for this week. We may or may not have a podcast next week. If we do, I will not be here, but for, for whatever reason, um, our next Big Ten preview will be uh, Penn State and Purdue. So two very interesting teams there, kind of the upper half of that middle of the pack that we talked about. Um, two teams that have kind of uh, interesting players coming back, interesting players leaving. So a lot to talk about there with those two teams um, as we work our way to the sort of the upper half of the Big Ten now. We're getting, we're pretty much almost mid, we're exactly midway, I'd say. Yeah, exactly midway through the Big Ten standings from last year, working our way up from the bottom. So we're starting to get to more of the, the better teams in the conference, but we're already starting to get the teams with these positive records looking at, you know, Maryland's and, and Illinois getting the better of, you know, it's it's not quite the Indianas and, and Northwesterns that we started with. So it's improving each and every week. Uh, more and more teams with some more positive outlooks going into the season. So 
we will leave you there for now. Um, for more Ohio State stuff, be sure to check out all of our written content over at landgrandhoyland.com. Uh, be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff for the podcast. And for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross, a.k.a. The Wizard. Uh, and as always, go Bucks.